Hi, friends. We are in week two of our Focus on Fellowship as we continue through our Inner Workings of Worship series. This week, we are joined by the Reverend Dr. Ed Glover as we turn our attention to small groups as part of our Christian life. If you would like more information about the various small group offerings we have here at Christ Church, we encourage you to check out our website, ccgf.org, or contact Pastor Bob Mason. His information is available through our website as well. Here is Pastor Ed with the message, Fellowship Through Small Communities. Thanks for listening. When we were together back in there praying before the service started, everybody said, man, Pastor Ed, when you get up, there's just going to be this really depressing song that's going to be sung just before. (laughs) I was actually around when that song was actually played. Oh, man, let's not go there. Hey, we're talking about fellowship through small communities. So we're going to talk about today. When the church gave me the title, I literally sat there and I looked at it and I thought to myself, this question came to me. What exactly is fellowship? What is it? Before we talk, before we go any further, let's have a prayer. To, let's have prayer together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And we thank you that today you are here in our midst and we know you in a personal way. For those who don't, we pray, God, you would draw them close to you, that they would come to know you today. But Lord, we've gathered here and we give you thanks and we had asked right now that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word and that you would speak through me to your people. And we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, I've been around a long time, so I've seen a lot of advertisement for picnics, church picnics. And they're usually, at, they're usually promoted like this. Come and have fun, food, and fellowship. fellowship. Like we have to have fun and food to have fellowship, right? Is that what that means? When we go out in the lobby and we have conversations with one another out there in the lobby, is that fellowship? Yeah. Is it having fellowship when we're out there in the cafe and having coffee together and having a conversation? Or sitting down over a meal and talking with one another? Is that fellowship? Yes, it's part of fellowship. But true Christian fellowship goes a lot deeper than socializing with one another. You you see, it's good for us to be together and to talk about our kids and our grandchildren and what's going on at work and what's going on at home and whether the Pirates or the Steelers are going to make the playoffs. All that is good. It's socialization. But if we as believers, that's all we talk about, then we've never really moved towards true New Testament fellowship. True New, the true New Testament fellowship is when we get together and we socialize, but sooner or later our conversation and our relationships sooner or later get to around talking about how we might encourage one another in the faith. How we might inspire one another to persevere in our faith and put our faith into practice. Until that really happens, we never really experienced Christian fellowship, as the Bible speaks of it. But you know, that kind of fellowship, it, it happens best in small groups. In other words, when, we, when, when, when it comes to fellowship, true fellowship, smaller is better. Smaller is better. You can worship in a crowd, but you can't fellowship with one. Think about it. 
There's no way that you can know everybody in this room. Can't do it. That's why we know that once a group becomes larger than 12 people, someone stops participating. That's why when Jesus ministered in a context of a small group of disciples, he could have chosen more. But he knew that 12 was about the maximum size you can have in a small group where everyone will participate. Now we know that Jesus, he ministered, yes, in small groups, but he also ministered to large crowds. We see that within the New Testament. We find him over in synagogues ministering. We find him out publicly ministering to thousands of people. However, we find Jesus investing a great deal of time with a small group a small Christian community, which he called his disciples. So I'm thanking God that th- this morning that we are worshiping together as a congregation, and we need to, because God, God has called us out to do that. But if you're not in a small group like Dennis, I want to encourage you to go out in the lobby. There will be a big sign out there called small groups. I'm encouraging you to go and, and become part of a small group. If you are not one, really, you need to be part of one. And if you can open up your home, I'm encouraging you to open up your home and host a small group. And why are we spending a whole Sunday morning talking about small groups? What's so important? Why are small groups important? Well, in our passage, in verses 24 and 25, it's going to give us three reasons why it's important that we're in a small group. The first reason is found in verse 24, and it says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In the beginning of that verse, it says, let us consider. To consider something means that you have to think about it. Now, no pun intended, but think about that statement. In order for you to consider something, you've got to, it doesn't happen accidentally. You've got to be intentional about it. You have to choose, if you're going to consider something, To think about it. So what are we to consider? What are we to think about? Choose to think about. It tells us in our verse. It tells us we are to think about how we may spur one another on. What in the world does spur mean? (laughs) It means this. It means to stir up, stimulate, entice someone to do something. Here it is. It's about motivating someone to do something. And what are we to be... What are we to choose to think about so that we might motivate ourselves and others towards, it tells us in our passage, to love and good deeds. Can you say that? Love and good deeds. Now, what in the world does it mean to to love and, and, and good deeds? We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but let me just say this. When you come into a church service, when you come to gather it together, do you think about how you might motivate yourself or others to love one another and meet each other's good meet, meet, meet each other's needs? When you walk in, is that the way you're thinking? Most people will say to me, Pastor Ed, that's the pastor's job. No, well, let's go back to our verse. It says this: Let us consider how we. Yes, the pastors, absolutely, we're involved in that. But it means all of us are to come together when we come together. And we need to be thinking about how we might motivate ourselves as well as one another so that we might love one another and meet each other's needs. Amen. That's what it says there within the word. Now, what does it mean when it says love, though? 
How, what are we to motivate? What's that look like? Well, first of all, let me tell you what it doesn't look like. The love there, that word love, is not referring to what I call the if love. If you love me, I'll love you. If you satisfy me, I'll satisfy you. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not the kind of love that's described here in our passage at all. The kind of love that's described here is Jesus' love. And I'm calling Jesus' love this morning the in spite of love. In spite of whether or not I feel like it or whether or not you deserve it, I will love you. In spite of love, whether or not I feel like it, whether or not you deserve it, I will love you. That's the way that Jesus Christ loved each and every one of you in this room. In the Bible, it says this. It said that even when we were his enemies, Christ died for you and me. Every time you rebel against the Lord, every time you tell the Lord, I'm going to do my own thing, every time you fall into that temptation, whatever you do, what you're saying is, I'm going to do my own thing. And every time you move into that, and that's your response, God's response is, continues to be the same. He loves you. Doesn't change. Whether you deserve it or not, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has proven it when he was on the cross. He loves you and me. But then we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what he prayed. He, prayed, he cried out to his father. He said, Father, take this cup from me. What was the cup? The cup was the cross. And what he was saying to, to his father, he said, Father, I don't feel like going to this cross. But then he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he went to the cross, even though he didn't feel like it. He went to the cross for you and me. And he died there on our behalf. You see, Jesus loves us and loved us even when we didn't deserve it and even when he didn't feel like it. And then he goes on and he says this. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this to his disciples and to all of us this morning. He says in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Is that an option? No, it's not an option because I just told you it's a what? It's a command. We are commanded by Jesus to love one another as he has loved us. Then it goes on in verse 13. It says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The writer of Hebrews is saying that we, you and I, are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Now, some of you are sitting out there and saying, that's impossible, Pastor Ed. We can't do that. You're absolutely right. In and of yourself, you can't do it. It's impossible. But remember, the Bible says, with Christ, all things are possible. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the moment you ask him to be your Savior, the Bible says that you were born again of the Spirit. And the Spirit came and took up residence within you. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within you, dwells within each and every one of you in this room. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within you, lives within you, lives within you, lives within you. He comes and lives within each and every one of us. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you and me. And then the Bible says this. He says, in Galatians chapter 5, it says there that the fruit of the Spirit is what? And the kind of love that's described right there in that passage is the same kind of love that's described in our passage. 
What it means is this, that because the Holy Spirit dwells within you and within me, you and I, all of us in this room, has the potential to love one another like Christ loved you, like, like, like Christ loves. We have the potential to do that. That's why it's so important that every one of us in this room depends upon the Holy Spirit. You're right, it's impossible. Matter of fact, the Christian life is supernatural. It's impossible. The only way it can be lived out is if you and I depend upon the Holy Spirit day in, day out, moment by moment. But what happens when we stop living in the flesh and begin to live really in the Spirit? We can love one another and we can love our wives. We can love our kids. We can love our enemies. We can love everybody, whether we feel like it or whether they deserve it. That's what God does for us. As believers, it is absolutely supernatural. So you know what that means, folks? In all your relationships, even with your enemies, it's possible. You can break through all of that and you can love them. And it doesn't matter their response at all. You can be free of all their anger, all their accusations, all the things that they've done for you. You don't have to keep records of wrongs. You don't have to go back and look anymore. You can move on and be free and love as God has loved you. Amen? Amen. Because that happens because of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm good. You're good. You know, the, the last service I had, man, I, Barry, that's why Barry said to you. I had to get on people. When you hear a truth like that and you don't respond, you're dead somehow. I mean, seriously. I mean, how in the world do you and I walk with God? How do we fight this world, the flesh and the devil? The only way that happens is by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because you you just got to thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ dwells within you by his spirit. And that has so much hope, doesn't it? Doesn't that that give you hope? Like, I don't have to be the same guy tomorrow. I don't have to be the same guy I am today, tomorrow. I could have blown it. Listen, a a successful Christian is one who gets up one more time than he falls. So you don't have to be the same guy you were yesterday. You could be a new person today. You could get up and say, I'm going to walk in the Holy Spirit today. And I'm going to, what's the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience. You get it? And that's your decision. And that's mine. And what he says to us in his word, he says, listen, you have the potential now to love one another. Let me show you, let me illustrate to you how that works in a small group. I've told you in the past that I, would, I got sick. I was sick and I was out of ministry for nine months. And that was a time when I was a pastor at Allegheny Center Lights Church downtown, very large church. And when I was out of the ministry, the people in the church, man, they, they wrote me cards, letters. It was amazing. I have bags of cards and letters that they sent me. I, I knew I was remembered. People prayed for me. And I felt encouraged and loved by them. But then there was a small group of people that I really invested in. And they really invested in me. And those folks, they, they made phone calls, they sent me cards, but they went from love to good deeds. They put their, their love, if you, if you will, their faith into action. And they actually showed up at my home and prayed for me. They showed up at my home and put their hands on me. See, they didn't love me from a distance. They came right up close and personal and put their hands on me and loved me. Prayed for me. 
They came to my home and brought meals to my family for months. I was out of work. The bills continued to to pile up and I didn't have the money to pay my bills. That group of people showed up and paid my bills. Folks, you do not experience what I'm talking about in a crowd of people. It's good. God calls us to come to worship corporately like this because God does something in a service like this that he doesn't do when you're alone or in a small group. But when you're in a small group, that's when you get to experience love and good deeds. You get to see it fleshed out in your own life. And you get the opportunity to invest in others and others invest in you. It doesn't happen in a large group, a large crowd. It happens in small groups. That's why when you're coming up, and you will if you haven't already, you're going to face crisis in your life. And I'll tell you what, the ones that are really going to be there alongside of you are people you invested in. That's going to be who's going to be there for you and who you're going to be there for. And if it's just your family and you don't engage with the family of God, it'll just be your family. But I'm telling you, the family, you're part of the family of God and you can go way beyond that. And you can have even a greater impact and people will be alongside of you. Listen, my family had no capacity to take care of me at that time. It was the family of God that stepped in and he met my need. I know every one of those people's names. To this day, we are intimate. To this day, we know one another. To this day, I've got their back and they've got mine. There are people in this congregation that that I've met and we minister to one another just like that. Who do you know, who are you part of in this church that that could happen for you and you're willing to do that for them? If you're not part of a small group, I encourage you to go out there in that lobby today and you sign up. I'm encouraging you to open up your home so that people can gather together so that we can love one another onto good need, onto good deeds. Huh? Let's do that with one another. The second point of why we should meet in small groups is this. This is the reason. And found in verse 25, it says this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The word give up there literally means to abandon, to leave behind. I've been in church for a long time. I've heard a lot of people tell me why they're leaving churches. A lot of reasons, but three common reasons over and over again. If I heard it when I heard it a hundred different times are these three reasons. One, they think that the church is unfriendly. Two, that they they think the church doesn't care for them. And three, that they don't believe that the church is meeting their needs. That's usually the reason why people leave a church. Listen, you could be part of a huge congregation like Christ Church. Very big group of people here. And you could come to church every Sunday and be absolutely anonymous. You could come to church and if you don't fill out those attendance sheets, the church will never know that you are here. You can come and and you, you never have to meet anyone. Come in, walk right out, don't know anybody, and no one knows that you are here. But when you're part of a small group of people and you meet with them regularly, they know when you're missing. And if you miss about two weeks, somebody in that group in that group's picking up the phone and they're calling and they're finding out what's going on with you. Are you okay? They're checking up on you. Not in a bad way, in a good way. How are you? We miss you. I remember a man came to me one time, a gentleman, and he came to me and said, Pastor Ed, I'm leaving the church. I said, why? He said, because the, the church isn't friendly. And I was, in, I was in the hospital, and nobody came and visited me. 
I'm leaving the church. I said, okay, let's sit down, let's talk. And I listened to him, and he waxed eloquent, eloquent why in the world the church wasn't friendly and, and how nobody came to visit him. And finally, after I let him talk for a while, I looked at him, and I very kindly said this. I said, you know, growing up, my mother used to tell me, if you want a friend, be a friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. And I looked at him, and I said this. I said, if everyone in the church was like you, what would the church be like? Would everybody in the church have a friend? Would it be a friendly church? Would everybody who ever went into a hospital be visited? What would it be like? And he kind of hemmed and he hawed. And then I said this very directly to him. I said, let me ask you this. Have you ever visited anybody from the church that has gone to a hospital? He looked at me and he said, no, I haven't. And then he got what I was doing. He said, but I've been in the church. I've been in the church every Sunday. I go to the church. I said, you know what? I'm sure you do. But let me ask you this. Have you invested in anybody in the church? Have you ever been part of a small group? Have you ever been part of a ministry? Have you ever, if you, when you come to church, does anybody know that you're there other than you and your family? And he looked at me and he said, no, probably not. And I said to him, you know, before you abandon the church, before you leave the church, you know what I'm going to encourage you to do? I'm going to encourage you to be part of a small group. I'm going to encourage you to invest in a group of people and allow that group of people to invest in you. And I'll guarantee you this. That th- God forbid that you have to go back into the hospital, but I'll guarantee you this. If you have to, and you're part of a small group, and you invest in them, and they invest in you, I'll guarantee you, you'll never be alone in that hospital again. Won't happen. You know, what I said to that man I know is absolutely true, because I've been in ministry for 30 years, and I have found that people who invest in others, and others invest in them, when you go through a crisis in your life, you don't have to go through that crisis alone. Never happens. It will not happen. People will be there for you. They'll be there. You know, people say to me, Pastor Ed, what what happened to that guy? Well, he didn't take my advice. He just left the church. I hope to God that's not you. I hope you'll go right out there today and you'll join up to be part of a small group. That's my hope. Third reason why we get in small groups is because let us, in verse 25 it says, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. At the time the book of Hebrews was being written, the culture had become anti-Christian. The Roman government at that time was becoming more and more hostile towards Christians, towards our brothers and sisters. And they were losing their jobs. They were losing their property. They were being thrown in jail. They were up against great persecution. But at the same time, they, the, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, People who were in the Jewish faith, who left the faith and became part of the Christian church. They came to know Jesus. And he was writing to them saying this. Because what was happening was saying, don't abandon one another. Encourage one another. Why? Because there was a lot of Jewish religious leaders coming to them and trying to persuade them to renounce their faith, stop meeting at the Christian church 
and get back to going to the synagogues. So here they are. They're being persecuted by the government. They're being, pers- they're being pressured by their community. And the writer of Hebrews writes to them and says this. Hear these words again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, he's saying, when you gather together, love one another. Take care of each other. Don't abandon one another, but encourage each other. Not with simple talk, but encourage one another so that you might persevere in the faith. And you might put your faith into action. As you see the day approaching, the word encouragement right there literally means, it means this, coming alongside of someone. Say that with me. Coming alongside of someone for the purpose of comforting them, for the purpose of strengthening them, for the purpose of of inspiring courage in another person. You know, when someone becomes discouraged, is because courage has been drained from them. So what, that, what does that person need? Especially in the situation that, that the Hebrews are in. What they need is somebody to come alongside of them and put courage back into them. Best way I can describe what this word means and what we're to do with one another is to tell you this one simple illustration. How many of you have had car batteries go dead? Please raise your hand, please. Raise them up high. Man, a lot of us, right? I have a lot. When that happens to you, what do you need? You need someone to, someone to come alongside of you who has a strong battery and has some jumper cables and hook up that jumper cable to that strong battery and then hook up those cables to your weak battery. And what happens? Power and strength come from the strong battery into the weak battery and then the weak battery becomes strong and next thing you know, you turn your car over. And what do you do? You head down the road. What he's saying to us in this word today, what God is saying that each and every one of us, when we gather together, we need to come alongside of each other and put strength within us. You need those of you that are strong, come along those who are weak. And you put, your, you put encouragement in them. You put courage back. If you're really walking with God, if you're really, I don't know, don't, I don't know about you, but our culture is becoming more and more anti-Christian. And if you're truly out there and you're living for Jesus Christ, you're not playing the chameleon thing. You're really trying to live out Jesus in your workplace, in your public place, your private places. You're really trying to get it done. Then you're not only up against the culture, but you're you're up against the world, the flesh and the devil. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to come to church so that I can come alongside of somebody so that I can encourage them. And I can't wait to get to church because I'm hoping somebody comes alongside of me and encourages me. And as we do that with one another, more and more of us are strengthened. We're charged up, if you will, our bodies to walk in the fullness of God's spirit. And we can go back out there and persevere in our faith and persevere in our faith and, and put our faith into practice. But if we come and we just watch a show and watch some guy stand up here and perform and walk out those doors and go home, we might as well go to the theater. But if we gather together and we stand before God and we hear God's word and we put that into action and we break it down into small groups where we get to flesh it out, we get to know people, we get encouragement. Now we'll gather together for a whole nother reason, not for a performance. You'll gather to, you'll gather to be in the presence of God so that you can experience the love of God and so that you might encourage somebody else so that they might be encouraged to what? To persevere in their faith. 
And we're supposed to do that for one another. I don't understand why Christians say this. Well, you don't need the church. People are insane. You don't need... Are you kidding me? If you're walking with God and you're out there doing what you're supposed to do, you don't need one another? It's a lie. That's a lie. I need so much encouragement, I can't tell you. And you know what? You, you need to come around. You, you know what I talk... When you leave the church and you stop engaging with people, you lose your home court advantage. What's that mean, Pastor Ed? That's a basketball term. What's that mean? Let me explain it to you. When I was in high school, I was on a basketball team. In my senior year, we were going for the county championship. And we were one game away from winning the county championship. And two of our starters got hurt and they couldn't play that next game. And we were discouraged. Because if we lose that game, we got to go into playoffs. And we didn't want to go into playoffs because now we have two players out for the season. We want to win that game, win the championship, and hey, great season. So our coach walks in and says this to us. He says, we got this game in the bag. We go, really? He says, yep, we got the game in the bag. We have, we have, not, we have won every home game this year, and we're going to win this game. Because we have the home court advantage. Look, we're going to put five guys out there on the court all the time. And the opposing team's going to have five guys on the court all the time. But the difference is we're playing at our house. We're playing on our court. We have the home court advantage. So we don't, won't just have five guys out there on that court. We're going to have six because we have the fans and the family out there in that, in that crowd. And they're going to be cheering us on. And when we get ahead, they're going to go crazy. When we get behind, they're going to encourage us. And they're going to yell and scream and try to intimidate our enemy. Our opposing team. And you know what happened? We went out on that court. We started playing basketball. And we had no business winning that game. But we did. Because that second player. That sixth player. That crowd that was there that day. Man they encouraged us. Encouraged us. And we won that championship. Listen. You need to gather together like this. Without a shadow of a doubt. Because you need to be encouraged. But you also need to be part of a smaller group of people. That are going to be with you. And live life with you. And encourage you. Along the way. And then the word of God says this. As you see the day approaching. What does that mean? It's talking about the return of Christ. And the Bible says this. When, the, when Jesus comes back. As he's coming back. It's going to become more and more difficult to live out your faith on the earth. Because the devil is going to have great access. And he's going to come against you. The enemy is going to attack you in those days like never before. You know, today we're remembering 9-11. This week I picked up the 9-11 reports and I read through those reports. You know what they said? They made this statement in different ways. They made this statement. We underestimated our enemy. We underestimated our enemy. We have an enemy that's trying to destroy America. But we have another enemy that's tr- trying to destroy you and your, ch- your children and your children's children. And the Bible refers to him as the devil. And this is what the Bible says. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know who he gets? You know who the devil takes advantage of and devours? Is any one of us who isolates ourselves from the body of Christ. So when that song played, only one there. Soon as you become that person, soon as you begin to 
to stray away from the family of God, you get on your own, what does the lion do? The lion pounces on that one. He doesn't take on the whole group. He takes on that one who strays away, who isolates themselves. You and I, we need each other. And as the day approaches us, it gets even more difficult to be Christian in an anti-Christian culture. You're not only going to come together and worship here differently than you have so far, but you need to be part of a small group. But when you keep coming, this is what will happen. As you and I lock arms and we keep encouraging one another in our faith to persevere and put it into action, you know what, what happens? You don't lose the battle. You win it. You, lo- you don't lose. You win. Let me tell you a story, a true story about a guy that was in Africa and he was driving down a road and there was a rhinoceros dead on the road. He couldn't even go by it. Big old animal sitting there dead. And a little pygmy standing on top of that rhinoceros. And he was standing there kind of like this. And the guy looked at that and got out of the car and walked out and said, "Uh, did you kill this animal? He said, I sure did. And he looked around and he said, how'd you do that? He said, did it with my club. He looked around, he couldn't see a club, and he says, how big's your club? And he pointed into the, into the bush, and there was about 100, 150 other pygmies right there in the bush. He says, you see that club? That's how we killed this animal. Look right here. You try to do this alone, you're toast. You might just pack up and leave, I'm telling you. You're toast. But if you gather together with people who are like-minded, come together and you come and really have true fellowship with one another. Get in a small group. The day you come up against those battles, you're going to win that day. Because you won't be alone. Let us not abandon one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us inspire one another to love one another and meet each other's needs. As we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for these folks in this room. I thank you for this church. Thank you for how they minister, how they minister to me and Urban Impact Foundation. But today, Lord, we, want to, we don't want to abandon. We want to, we want to unite. So, Lord, help us this day to walk with you in the fullness of your spirit, to love each other as you've asked us to love one another. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.